This presentation is from UX Australia 2016, held in Melbourne. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au. Which is a good thing. So yeah, without further ado, straight over to Freya Elliott. Thank you. Sorry, I really just couldn't help myself. Thanks everyone for waiting. Um, so welcome. Um, my presentation obviously is on the psychology of waiting. Um, interestingly, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't um, inspired by any desire to do a good job on behalf of my clients uh, when it came to understanding uh, the psychology of waiting. I was inspired, however, by this man. This is my husband. <laughs> who is a Gemini. Uh, and according to Google, Gemini men are friendly, they're loving, uh, they get along with people, and as you can tell by the hat, they're commonly the life of the party. However, also being Gemini, there's two sides to the coin. And the other side of the coin is that they're often considered to be restless and fidgety. Uh, I can tell you right now that that is a massive understatement. This man will drive 200 kilometres in the wrong direction to avoid a traffic jam. And last Mother's Day, he woke the children up, at, uh, myself and children up at 6.30am in the morning uh, to allow us to get to the restaurant on time so he didn't have to queue. So I think you're probably laughing a little bit about my unfortunate life. <laughs> um, but it does give you some insight, I guess, into uh, why I'm interested in the psychology of waiting. Um, but even more important to, uh, than that, I guess, is why should you be interested? Um, so I'm just going to ask everyone in the room uh, to close their eyes. Please just humour me. I'd like you to think about your day yesterday. Um, I want you to think about the waiting experiences that you had during your day yesterday. Uh, it might have been waiting for coffee, could have been waiting to go online to purchase something, uh, could have been waiting for lunch. Just... Have a think about that. Make a mental note. Um, so I'm guessing that there's probably one, potentially two, maybe even more, experiences that are very memorable to you about yesterday's waiting. Um, and so by the powers of mathematical deduction, I'm going to get you to open your eyes. Uh, now, there's seven billion people in the world, and each one of you is having at least two waiting experiences. By my mathematical calculation, that means at least 14 billion opportunities to make a difference every day by understanding waiting. Um, the thing that most excites me, I guess, about um, being in this room, though, is that being a, uh, a group of designers, um, you, you have the opportunity not just to wait in line, but also to control the line. Um, so what that means is that by the time, well, hopefully by the time you walk out of the room today, you'll understand how the psychology of waiting can be applied in a lot of different channels. So not just physical, but also telephone and um, uh, online. Um, and what that gives you the power to do is to literally change the lives of billions of people. And I think that's a kind of a Steve Jobs moment for you all. <laughs> Um, just really quickly, just to frame the rest of the presentation, I guess, there's two major parts to waiting. There's the mathematical part, uh, which is the how do you get hundreds of people through a queue in one period of time. I'm not going to talk about that. As you can tell, my maths is pretty primitive. Um, I'm going to talk to you more about the waiting part. 
we go. So, David Meister in 1985 uh, published these. They are the eight factors around waiting, eight psychological factors around waiting. Um, unfortunately, in 20 minutes, I'm not going to be able to go through all eight. Uh, what I will do, though, is go through numbers one to four and give you uh, quite a bit of case study. And then with the remaining ones, I'll sort of breeze through them. Uh, if after the presentation you want to talk to me about them, I'm happy to talk about them. Uh, or you can read David's paper. It's very informative. Okay. So there is a saying that if you have something to occupy your time, it will go quicker. Um, in a case, I'll, to, I'll just give you a bit of a case study to show you what that means. So in the early days of um, the industrial age, buildings started to go up. Uh, so here you've got an illustration. Think of the Empire State Building. Um, and with these buildings going up, uh, people began to use elevators. Uh, in those days, elevators were excruciatingly slow. Um, so people were constantly complaining about the time that it took to get from the bottom floor to the top. Um, elevator companies started putting their best designers on creating faster elevators, but at that day and age, the cost of that was inhibitive. So a very clever engineer uh, had a, uh, a revolution and said, I don't think the problem is actually in the speed of the elevator. I think the problem is in the way people, the, the fact that people think that the elevator is too slow. And so he set about, he set about to, to think of um, a way to make the waiting time better. Uh, and he introduced uh, mirrors. And what do you know? Boom. <laughs> Feedback was positive from customers about the speed of the new elevators. So I think the lesson is when designing uh, a waiting experience, think about what is actually going to be occupying people during that waiting experience. Uh, so number two, um, the saying first come, first served uh, is actually a very true saying when it comes to waiting lines. So it is the fairest way to process people. Um, so research shows that a single line leading to multiple cashiers actually feels three times as fast as multiple lines leading to multiple cashiers. Um, but if you don't believe me, I'm just going to show you this video. I'll just warn you, this can be a bit distressing. Some people may find it anxiety. Uh, I think that's about as enough as everyone can take. <laughs> so I think put up your hand if you've never been through an experience like that. <laughs> Um, so I think the, lesson, the design lesson here is you should always design one queue to a single service. Um, if there are multiple services, it is possible to have multiple queues, but you need to be very clear about which queue is for which service. You can't blur the lines. Um, so next, next is uh, this one, which is I think the common analogy is a watched pot never boils. Um, so it's interesting research shows that customers overestimate waiting times by 23%. Uh, so the simple act of putting a clock on a wall can actually reduce customers' perception of how long they've been waiting because they can see the physical time. Um, so when you uh, design, uh, you should uh, design this in, in the context of which you're waiting. So as an example, as a minimum, putting a clock on a wall is a good idea. 
Um, if your wait time is predictable, so as an example, a, um, a ride in a, you know, a theme park, um, you should actually estimate what the wait time is going to be. So the wait time is approximately 20 minutes. Um, but if the uh, time is not predictable, so for instance, a doctor's appointment or maybe to pre produce a service um, that you can't always tell it's going to be roughly the same time, then you should be telling people where they're sitting in the queue. Um, so that way they can consciously start to realise how long it's going to take. Um, so I'm sure everybody's seen these popping up all over the place. Um, what they are are virtual queues on a mobile phone um, and really what they do is tell you either how long the wait time is, they notify it when, you, when it's your turn, um, or they'll tell you, as in the case of this one, where you are sitting in the queue. Um, and these are being used... Uh, from everything from coffee to um, Santa queues. I know um, they did it for the Santa queue last year at the shopping centre that I had. Okay, last one. Um, so uh, the research, research, interestingly, research shows that uh, once a wait time gets longer than about three minutes, um, the wait time multiplies with each passing minute. So the reason that that happens psychologically is because you're wondering, am I in the right queue? Have I been forgotten? You don't know. Um, so there's been plenty of different experiments around this. One um, in particular, they, it was very simple. They introduced lavender scent to the um, queue and uh, the wait time, perceived wait time, went down, dropped down by about 10 minutes. So just that reduction of anxiety by introducing the smell of lavender helped. Um, but I also, I like to think of this one as the restaurant, the restaurant problem. Um, so everyone's been to a restaurant and everyone's probably waited really patiently for their food to arrive and they have a mental model of how long they think it takes to cook a steak or make a salad. And you'll probably uh, remember that had it gone, has the time gone past that mental model, uh, you suddenly start to have this increasing anxiety. Um, so much so to the point that if someone else receives their meal before you, you are definitely thinking they've forgotten me, I'm going to check my order, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the great news about this one, though, is that it's, really, it's very easy to reset people's wait clocks. Um, so in expensive restaurants, you'll notice that uh, people come around and they put the cutlery down for the meal that you're about to eat. And what that tells you is it, boom, it automatically resets your wait clock because you know that your order has been placed because the person has put down the most appropriate cutlery. Um, I don't know if, the, if anyone's ever been into the Apple Genius Bar, but they also uh, do this. So as you're waiting to have your computer fixed, uh, you'll often be interrupted by about two or three people tapping away on their iPads. They're not actually doing anything. They're not reducing the queue. Uh, but what they are doing is resetting your wait clock so you don't think that you've been in the queue for as long. Um, so the lesson, that I guess the design lesson in, the, in this is if your queues are going to be longer than about three minutes or people's mental wait time for the service that they're about to get, um, then you should be starting to think about how can you design the resetting of the wait clock? How can you make people realise that they're in the right queue? Um, so those four factors happen all the time. I'm just going to talk really briefly about five to eight. So five, um, think about a time that your plane has been delayed or your doctor has not turned up for your appointment. Um, if you know the reason why that's happened, you're a lot li less likely to get frustrated. Um, so six, if the waiting times... Uh, so waiting times actually stop from the minute that you're occupied. 
So that's why in a restaurant you get given a menu. It's also why in a doctor's surgery you'll get given uh, some information to fill in uh, because essentially while you're occupied, your weight clock's not ticking. Um, number seven, you're more likely to wait for a plane or a travel itinerary than you are to purchase a toothbrush. I think that's pretty um, evident, that one. Um, and then the last one, has anyone ever waited in a queue alone? Mm, not for very long, I bet. <laughs> okay, so they're the last uh, eight. Uh, so I guess what's more important, I just thought I'd uh, kind of take these and translate them into uh, different experiences. So I'm just going to talk you really briefly through um, a case study that we did with a local council. Um, so just a little bit of context, I guess. This is the local council waiting room after it was refurbished. Um, so they'd just spent a lot of money refurbishing it. Um, they didn't have any money to spend. They couldn't hire any more staff. They had a very limited budget. They knew they had a waiting time problem. So they were getting a lot of feedback from customers that they were waiting too long in the queue. So they wanted to improve their service. Um, so I'm just going to talk you through really briefly here. Um, just gonna, it's a little bit of a building layout. Um, I'm going to build on it so you can follow me, hopefully. So just take a second. So two entrance doors. One, both of these were on the street. Um, but two access points. Uh, there was a reception area just in the first access point, and the, uh, what that reception area was there to do was to sign people into the building so they could go up to the upper floors. Um, this is a picture. So yeah, up the stairs, um, the reception area is behind the glass doors. You can see the guy in the distance waiting broadly, and then the area off to the right is where the actual service centre was. Okay, so once you're inside the service centre, there was three desks. There was one for an engineer, there was one for uh, general service, and then there was one called, a uh, very vaguely named, a planner gateway. Um, but essentially that was the planner's desk. Um, interestingly though, the only queue that was labelled inside of here was the one that had planner on it. The other two were just two different sets of bollards. Okay, this is what happened when we applied a heat map. Uh, so what we did here is just looked at CCTV footage uh, and looked at where people were waiting in relation to that. So the red areas obviously are the ones with the big waiting lines. Um, so there was, I guess there were some things there that we expected. So the red areas around the queuing systems uh, we expected to see. Um, probably not the one near the engineer's desk given that it was only manned sort of between the hours of three and five. Um, but also the large red area that you noticed by the reception desk. So what actually happened was that people were walking into the building and queuing up at the reception desk uh, only to be told once they got to the front of the queue that they needed to go inside the service centre to have their query um, responded to. Um, then also you can see here the other interesting part about this heat map was all the light blue areas. So um, when you're actually inside the centre, you can see that all those light blue areas are where the seats were and they were virtually not used, so not used at all. So a lot of unused space. Um, so I'm just going to talk you through a little story about how that played out if you were an actual customer. So I'm going to tell you the story of Joe. That's Joe up there, a uh, the little black fellow. Um, so Joe walks through the council's entrance and he makes his way to the planner's desk, that's number one, uh, believing he's got a building inquiry. So he was there to, uh, to do a granny flat on his, his property and also subdivide. Um, so the planning desk tells Joe that his inquiry is not relevant to them, uh, so they only do large residential DAs, and then he needs to go to the main service desk. So Joe walks down the little stairs there. Uh, he waits in line for 10 minutes. When he finally speaks to his service assistant, she tells Joe that he'll need to go to the engineer's desk. 
Um, so Joe walks to the engineer's desk. He repeats his question for the third time. The building surveyor tells uh, Joe that he's unsure about the question and that he'll need to go and check with the planning desk. So the engineer walks away, goes to the planning desk. After 10 minutes, he comes back. He tells Joe to go to the planning desk because they can help him out. Uh, so Joe walks back to the planning desk and is told by the planner that his inquiry can be answered, it's the right place, um, but the person that he needs to speak to is away today and they'll take his contact details and phone him back. So that's how that queuing system plays out. So anyone want to hazard a guess as to which of the psychology laws of waiting they were breaking? All of them. Bingo. Yes, they had the full Quinella. I think that's the right word. Um, so people had nothing to do. They weren't occupied while they were waiting a queue. Uh, they had no first come, no first serve uh, concept because there was all these queues. No one knew where to go. Um, they had no idea how long it was going to take them to be served. And then they, was, they never knew if they were standing in the right queue. So the Joe story and the reception experience. Um, so just really briefly, I guess we did, a, we did a session, we showed the service desk the psychology of queuing um, and we asked them to do a couple of things. We asked them how do they list the ways that you can make the wait better, um, how can you reduce customers' anxiety um, and they came up with a whole host of different things. Um, moving the engineer's desk, they reduced the queues from three to two, uh, they added a water cooler, they raised the lights, lowered the blinds, all sorts of different things. Um, but probably the most important thing was that the total estimated cost of all of those improvements was less than $5,000. Um, so essentially they're making large leaps in customer experience without spending a lot of money. Um, now the other thing that they did was uh, get funding for a ticketing system similar to the one that we did for Service New South Wales. Uh, which helps them use a lot of that unused space. So people can take a ticket, they can sit down rather than standing, and they can see where they are in the queue through the use of uh, these screens, similar to the ones that you see in the picture here. Okay, so um, these factors, though, aren't just relevant in a physical environment. Um, and I know the group before said you need to have Uber represented, so I'm going to represent Uber as well. Um, so I'm just going to show you... This is a picture, obviously, this, I did this before I came down. So this is the Uber waiting experience. Um, everyone's probably seen it. Um, so what can you see here? What, what are they doing quite well? Wait time. What was the other one? Yep, so wait time. So you're exactly right. So the two things, I guess, Uber have designed an app that's really good at um, giving you a certain wait time. Um, the other thing is that they they're consciously reducing your anxiety by telling you uh, that the cab has been ordered, what the registration vehicle of the cab is, uh, and even who the driver is. So massively reducing your anxiety, you know that that cab is on its way. Okay, so that's the online experience. I'm just going to give you another. Lock up your children. This is hold music could cause psychotic episodes. <laughs> Interestingly, it is actual hold music from a bank. Um, so I'm, gonna, I'm not going to kid anymore, I'm going to turn it off. Um, so the point I want to make though is that most companies use hold music in an attempt to occupy you. Um, the problem is that it's really not relevant to the reason why you're on the telephone. Um, so most people find hold music infuriating rather than relaxing. Um, so there's studies that actually show that hold music can make you physically sick. So, um, yeah. Um, so what, what happens when you're in a phone queue is that often breaks two rules. Um, so 
what it's led to, I guess, is um, the introduction of some new telephony technology. Um, so maybe just have a thing. I think there's now callback technology. So you can uh, leave your number, be placed in a queue, and someone will call you back when you reach the front of the queue. Um, also, companies are now starting to add relevant messaging to their wait times. So as an example, tax, uh, tax time of the year, they may have a message that says our tax statements are being sent out on this date. Um, there's also a very famous case study of a sports marketing company who played last night's games while our people were on hold uh, waiting for it to be answered. Um, and they actually had people saying, can you transfer me back into the queue because I want to hear the result. So it can actually be quite effective if it's relevant to the reason why you're on the phone. Um, so also the, there is also now um, very predominantly the, wa um, the wait time announcement. So if you pick up, often now you'll hear, look, we're experiencing high demand. Um, you know, the expected wait time is about 15 minutes. Anyway, so in summary, I guess it's over to you now to apply these psychological factors of waiting into all of the different experiences that you're creating. Um, so as a minimum, I hope I've given you something to do while you're standing in the queue the next time to think about these things. Um, but really, uh, I've actually used them and I hope you can now use them too to help frame your design problem. You know, is your design problem actually the fact that the, you're waiting too long or is it the fact that people aren't occupied? Um, you can create ideas that improve uh, waiting experiences for physical online and uh, the channels. Um, but for me, um, it's really helped me understand my husband more. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from UX Australia 2016. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au.